Okay, welcome everyone. Thank you all for coming and a huge thanks to Noel and AIB Bank for giving us access to this for, for this particular event. I think it's, it's lovely to be able to see it. So it's just, it's a celebration of Imbolc and St. Bridget that was kind of, um, it's being done under the umbrella of Tourism East Clare where we're hoping to highlight and bring an awareness to some of the old Christian festivals and just get communities and businesses involved and hopefully bring loads of tourists into the area as well. So that's that's how it came about. So it's going to be our relatively new Dean. I think we'll stop calling you new now at this stage, maybe. Um, Dr. Reverend Dr. Richard Marsh, um, the Dean of St. Flannan's. He is going to do a little bit of uh, chat about pilgrimage and that kind of thing. And then I'll do a very brief chat about St. Flannan and the well. And then we have very talented Yasmina is going to do a talk on the Sheila Nagig and Sheila Nagigs in general, which is the, for those of you that don't know, it's the stone that's here beside, beside the well. Okay, so I'd like to, to welcome Reverend Richard up to do... Good afternoon. Uh, can you all hear me? Um, if I sort of my voice drops, somebody wave wave at me from the back. Uh, yeah, I I do still feel a bit new, and clearly m most of you will know significantly more about St Flannan and indeed about that cathedral church than I do. So I'm going to talk in some very general terms about pilgrimage. Um, one of the things I do when I'm not deaning, as it were, is I lead study tours around the world. And I've done it for about 30 years. I take sort of interested and interesting people to really sort of on an extended uh, journey with a bit of a theme. And I've done them in Iran. I do them quite a lot in Armenia and Georgia. I regularly do them in Ethiopia. Um, I'm doing one this year in Albania. And a matter of very few weeks before my wife and I moved here to Killaloo, I was teaching a study tour themed around the origins of belief in southeast Turkey, right down most of, the, most of the journey you could look over into Syria. And it's that area of Mesopotamia, the, the, between the Tigris and the Euphrates, it's that area that is known as Al Jazeera, which means the, the island, because the, the, the rivers come round and almost, almost cut it off. And for people like me who are interested and curious about how people think, and about how they believe, it's utterly mind-blowing. It contains the tell or hill at Karahan Tepe, still an archaeological site where the earliest yet discovered religious structures predates even the development of agriculture. So we look where we know you're, 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 you're standing on a low mound on an archaeological site and you're looking at a religious site and it's 12,000 years old and that absolutely it's it, it, it for me it's the equivalent 
of being in the lab where they discovered DNA. It's that, for, for, for me, it's, it's that important. And I found myself digging down into ways of thinking that predate any of our contemporary articulations of religion or wisdom knowledge. A couple of days later, after being on the hill at Karahan Tepe and its neighbour, only 600 years later, um, uh, Gobekli Tepe, I was in the town of city of Shanlerfa. And historically, Shanlerfa is a great trading city on the Silk Road. And uh, consequently, it was a place where people traded ideas and insights as much as they traded goods and chattels. For much of its history, it was the Greek, a Greek city. It was known as Edessa. In late antiquity, it was known for its plethora of diverse and, to our minds, strange articulations of Christianity, Judaism, Manichaeism, and a whole realm of positions in between. They were all jostling for position. The history of the time is full of larger-than-life characters. These days, that tapestry of diversity has pretty much gone. What were former churches are now mosques. A former bell tower, now a minaret, from which sounded the Friday call to prayer. It was a Friday and families were relaxing in beautiful gardens. Large pools and watercourses teemed with sacred fish. The people gathered for prayer in a huge mosque. Now, there's something very, very significant, very special about Shanlerfa or Edessa, something that delves deeper than any one faith tradition. There is an ancient tradition that it is the birthplace of Abraham, the biblical Ur of the Chaldees. And you can visit the cave. I did visit the cave, where by tradition Abraham was born and which has been to which has been a place of pilgrimage for centuries. And Abraham is not a bad place to start if we're going to talk about pilgrimage. In the book Genesis it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So Shanlerfa is a place of pilgrimage. And I'm going to unpack that now. Pilgrimage is about setting out from the familiar, familiarity of home to go on a journey. It's a journey into the unknown or the unfamiliar. Lots of faith and wisdom traditions recognise the impulse to leave the familiar to go somewhere else. It's a journey that involves risk. I'd unashamedly call it faith for the willing traveller. They embark on an adventure, a journey. Within the Irish tradition, there are plenty of examples of people setting out without even knowing where they're going. I've always loved the story of St. Fursey setting out from Ireland and ending up in Norfolk, which must have been a bit of a shock. So to go on pilgrimage means intentionally to leave the familiar, cross the threshold into a different state. Travel on trackways, whale paths and keelways that to us are unfamiliar, but have been travelled by many before us. 
And by that searching and that journeying, they've been set apart. I'd call it made holy. Some of the biggest thinking about pilgrimage has been done by the American anthropologist Victor Turner. And he writes a lot about pilgrimage as a threshold or using, borrowing the term from the Dutch anthropologist Van Gennep, he talks about the liminal experience, crossing into the unfamiliar and then crossing back. Changed, certainly. Purged, maybe. Strengthened, hopefully. Refocused, assuredly. And a common feature of sites of pilgrimage throughout the world is water, and in particular wells. You can just find them wherever you are. If you go to the, the, to, to the great Islamic shrine, shrine right up on the Turkmen border in I Iran, one of the features of, of Mashhad is the well. Wells are to do with the basic source of life. Necessary for physical survival, cleanliness, health and comfort. And in the Christian tradition, of course, baptism. I unashamed, I'm unashamed to talk about the sacramental intermingling of the natural and the supernatural. Unlike a, unlike a font in a church, it's not water brought from somewhere else. It's living water springing from the ground. For the pilgrimage already, pilgrim already in that unfamiliar or liminal state, a well represented another boundary or threshold, that between the earth and the water. There's a 7th century prayer in what's called the Bobbio Missal, which is probably compiled somewhere in France around about the 7th century. And it bears the imprint of the Irish missionary monk St Columbanus, and it reads... Holy Lord, Father, Almighty God, who by your own divinity taught our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to dig out wells from the rock and drink water from them, we humbly beseech you to answer these prayers, that you sanctify the waters of this well to the health, use and heavenly blessing of this community, that fleeing all temptations of the devil or incursion of pollution, whoever drinks from them, may receive the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm equally intrigued by an 8th century Anglo-Saxon prayer over a spring where water has been affected by negligence. It has an almost contemporary ring about it. But it's the sense of water being a gift and the power of water to hold a spiritual charge while at the same time being a vehicle for conveying good health and blessing. Eternal God, it reads who through the power of your invisibility has offered these waters to be founded from nothing in their material form, and from the hidden unsearchable hollows has set flowing the stream for this spring through the magnificent abyss for the use of humanity. This is big thinking, encompassed within the limits of a small well. But pause for a moment, and imagine a pilgrim coming to here to Killaloo to the shrine of St. Flannan. We know it was a magnificent thing because there's an account of robbers stealing the saint's gold closure from his tomb. However, conveniently, the saint appeared to the sacristan in a dream and told him the names of the thieves who were duly punished. But imagine that after your journey, in sight of your goal, you paused at this well. It brings refreshment 
but also a connection with a sense of the whole of salvation history from creation on. I'm going to finish with a prayer from the Syrian Christian tradition, a prayer that was actually composed in the city of Shanlurfa when it was Edessa, composed by a great saint of the church, St. Jacob of Serug. These waters, he says, are blessed in the name of the Father, the living one, to life, and in the name of the Son, the living one, to life, and in the name of the living and Holy Spirit, to life forever. A friend of mine calls describes pilgrimage as a walk into eternity. I think that's a really lovely phrase. And I like the idea of pilgrims stopping here before they went in to that that church. It must have brought with them a sense of relief. It will have had for them a particular sense of authenticity for whatever brought them, and there's an extraordinary account in the 16th century of someone who does a pilgrimage of 19 Irish uh, pilgrimage sites as purgation for having murdered his son. And it's actually fa- absolutely fascinating account. And he comes here to, comes here to Killaloo and the sense of, no, this is, this is where you stop before you go in there. You're going to make that journey into the cathedral church. You know you're going to see something amazing and no, as, as a sidebar for any of us who think that entry through, exit through the gift shop is a new thing, you also knew that you were going to pay for it. Big pilgrimage sites had, had, a, had a ways of making money off people. We know, we know that. But here was a moment where in this in-between space, between land and water, I think pilgrims touch something incredibly deep and I think we still do touch things that are incredibly deep and like the water itself they're profoundly sustaining. Thank you all very much. So I know yeah I know he has to go so yeah um I had visions of it pouring rain, so I brought little cue cards to keep me on point and keep it short. So it is going to be short, So and it's a hard act to follow. So thank you, Dean Richard, for that. It's just a little bit about St. Flannan um, and just the well here. There isn't a huge amount of history about the well itself. Um, but St. Flannan, he was a 7th century saint, and he was the son of Turlock, who was the Prince of Tomond ever before the days of our great King Brian Brew. Um, he was the ruler at, and I can never pronounce this right, Green, Green An- and Lagna? Yeah, Lachna, near Ballycogger, and it was a huge fort. Um, and there is, there is um, a suggestion that that was where Brian Brew would have been born or started out his life rather than at the fort, which we know today. Um, he was placed under the care of Blackmet. Uh, before entering Malua's church or his, his monastery here in Killaloo. 
Um, yeah, see, it's going to rain, so I will keep it. Um, there is a story of him at one stage baking for 36 hours in this is in Malua's monastery, baking for 36 hours straight. And as he put his hand up, the light came through, shone through his fingers and lit up the whole room so he could continue with his task. And if you look at the, the in St. Flannan's church in Killaloo, um, in front of the altar on the right side there's a harry clark window and on the left side there's a joshua clark which was harry's father there's a window um done by the the joshua clark and on that it said that the figure with his hand up red is that of saint flannan and it, it um reverts back to that that story of him so when the the abbot heard of this story he decided he would pass on the baton if you like to to someone so saint flannan became the the abbot of, of Killaloo. Um, apparently when he was abbot, the, it's, the stories were that the uh, the fields were full of, of um, crops, apples drooped down from the apple, the fruit, or apple trees drooped under, with the fruit, uh, woods and forests were full of acorns and hazelnuts, the waters were full of fish, the poor received open-handed hospitality and there was peace among all nations. So he was seen as, as something somewhat special. And the people of Thomond were so kind of blown away by, by the way everything was when he was here that they decided he should be bishop, um, which he became Bishop of Killaloo in 639. Um, he is said to have traveled well a, a lot. He was a great preacher and people would come from miles to, to listen to him. Um, and he is said to have performed many miracles in his lifetime. So um, after he died, um, crowds apparently would come and come and visit his tomb. And it's just interesting what Dean Richard said about that story about appearing. Um, I have never found anything written. Maybe you have, Una, about where his tomb is. It's in Killaloo, apparently, but yeah, we don't know. We don't know. So he's somewhere here among us. Um, so then, obviously, St. Flannan's Cathedral, St. Flannan's Oratory, St. Flannan's Church, St. Flannan's Well, along with a lot of other sites um, and wells around the country, um, are named, are dedicated, or named after St. Flannan. So this particular well, up until the beginning of roughly the, the early part of the 20th century was in the grounds or considered the grounds of St. Flannan's Cathedral. So this was like a whole monastic site taking in this well. Um, and on December 18th, every year, people would come. Uh, that was his feast day. So people would make pilgrimage here to St. Flannan's well. And that continued. I imagine it, it would have even continued after the 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 grounds were um or the, the well was enclosed by the grounds of the bank i'd imagine it would have continued after that to a certain point but like a lot of religious traditions i suppose nowadays doesn't doesn't happen and hasn't happened for a good many years um the was there anything else i had to say um it's i was talking to somebody today who wanted to be here but couldn't but was actually a friend of one of the bank managers here growing up and she said she remembers coming out here playing with the bank manager's daughter and they were just told just stay away from the well your grand and 
you know, she never made any uh, any association with its historical value or the shield and the gig to her that was just a rock that she doesn't even remember seeing it you know so it's it's fantastic that we have been allowed access and again thanks to Noel and AIB to allow us access to come in here and, and just see this um, I think that was me as I said I was keeping it short yes the other thing which we have heard but never seen it written is that the Isle of Vaughan which any of the locals will know um, the little pathway that runs up and if you haven't been there look go up there on a uh, fine day it's beautiful the views up there but that that would have formed part of the pilgrim path that would have brought people here to to St Flannan's so that was me um, on cue it started raining <laughs> so I did keep it short so if anyone has any questions I'll try and answer no everyone okay yeah um, so what I'm going to do is hand you over to Yasmina who is, has done a huge amount of research on Sheila Giggs in, in Ireland and on this one. There isn't, I suppose, a massive amount of information on the Sheila Gig or the well, but um, Yasmina will, will fill you in on, on the whole thing behind them, for any, especially for people that don't know what they are. So, yeah, Yasmina. Thank you so much and thank you Arlene and Tourism East Clare for inviting me to talk a little bit about Shilana Gigs. My name is Yasmina Šušić and I just recently graduated as a local tour guide for uh, East Clare region and I'm quite passionate about Irish folklore and history and traditions and I also come originally from Croatia and I wanted to talk a little bit today about our own Kilalu Shilana Gig. So in the 19th century in the 8040 there was an ordinance uh, survey done across the Ireland and that was the first time when the Ireland was mapped. Um, in Tipperary, Mr. Thomas O'Connor was just mapping some historical locations on the 3rd October of 1840 when he found the first Sheelana gig. Now, what are Sheelana gigs? They are basically what we assume uh, ancient fertility symbols of women with green heads and their vulvas spread open. You can only imagine how much of uh, controversy has this brought in the community in the 19th century and throughout the years there has been more and more Sheila's discovered only to realize at the beginning of the 20th century that they are lo located all across the Europe as far as Czech Republic and France, Switzerland, Germany. However, what is so special about Ireland is that Ireland has the largest concentrations of Sheelana gigs in Europe. There's over a hundred of them and if you're interested a little bit more um, about this topic, Mr. Jack Robertson has mapped all of the Sheelana gigs in Ireland. There's also very significant work done by academics such as Rosemary Power and Dr. Barbara Freitag. I will um, tell you a little bit more in particular about uh, Dr. Barbara Freitag's research because I kind of feel that her theory of Sheelana gigs being fertility symbols assisting women during their birth is kind of um, something that really resonates with me. So um, if we start with the name itself, Sheelana Gig, you will probably know this a little bit better than me. I just started learning Irish. Um, could be some form of uh, translation as uh, Julia of the Breasts, but it could also insinuate um, an Irish word for 
vulva, which is also a little bit controversial in itself. However, um, the Shilana gigs have started appearing all across Ireland and they were starting to map um, the stone carvings. And at a certain stage, at the end of the 19th century, uh, there was a little bit of controversy, so they have put certain Shilana gigs under the lock in the basement to hide them away as a representation of evil, which now today in 2024 we know it's not the case, but that was um, a different time, I guess. So Dr. Bar uh, Barbara Freitag, who wrote an amazing book on the, this particular topic of uh, Shilana gigs, it's called Shilana Gig Unraveling the Mystery, there's a great chapter in the book which tells us about um, women in the Middle Ages and their dietary and the food that they have been eating and a little bit about anemia because there was n in the Middle Ages there was not that many uh, people eating healthy food or eating a lot of meat and such. So Shilana gigs have started appearing in the 11th century and one of the last ones um, was in the 16th century and in those times a labor um, uh, delivering a child was a very risky um, thing for women because um, they were anemic, uh, they were not that healthy, uh, there was not a lot in regards to the modern medicine. It was all kind of in the grounds of midwives uh, helping uh, the ladies deliver babies and all this folk medicine. And there's very strong uh, argument by Dr. Barbara Freitag that um, they were simply used as magical uh, symbols that help and assist uh, women in the birth. Dr. Barbara Freitag also uh, mentions this really interesting uh, fact uh, about finding one Shilana gig, which actually has um, a representation of a child's head carved, uh, which would be a direct uh, proof um, that the Shilana gigs are actually a representation of labor. However, Dr. Freitag never wrote about the location of this particular Shilana gig, so I can't tell you more than this at this stage. I also wanted to mention there's a lot of um, good projects and things happening in, in modern Ireland and across the Europe in regards to Shilana gigs. And I would uh, like to especially uh, mention uh, Dublin Feminist Collective. Project Sheila is the name of, of their project. So they started a few years ago making modern day Shilana gigs out of clay and kind of uh, remembering women's struggles throughout the history and the stories with the Magdalene laundries. So they would be putting Sheila's in certain places that mark women's struggle. And one of them was actually uh, set up in Dublin in city centre on one of the Magdalene laundries that got closed in 96. So if anyone is interested a little bit further about this topic, I would definitely recommend uh, Project Sheila on Instagram. I would also like to mention my lovely colleague who's just there, Patricia. She's going to be uh, running um, a workshop, art, Arts and Crafts Workshop for International Women's Day, which will be inspired by Sheila Nagigs. And I might assist a little bit with, with some poetry. So um, stay tuned because uh, Arlene and Tourism uh, uh, East Clare are um, helping us to kind of spread the word and do some future um, exciting workshops. What else did I want to tell you? I could just go on. I will just ask Arlene kindly to just give me a little signal when it's time to go because this is the topic I'm so excited about. I could go on. Now, uh, something else that is really important to remember 
during the Middle Ages, um, because of the the way that uh, women had issues with the labor and there was a lot of diseases and the child labor was a huge risk, there were some women uh, who would be um, kind of taking a little bit of dust of Shilanagig as a little uh, magic and make a little magical potion with the herbs and everything to assist them in the child labor. There's one in particular um, folk uh, custom around Ireland, which I find fascinating. And it says that farmers, local farmers, would be taking um, lambs or use the female sheep to Shilanagig for a blessing, especially in the time before Imbolc. And this is also another insinuation of Sheila's maybe being uh, fertility symbols, which is uh, really great. And there's a great uh, article um, which talks about this topic. It's in the Guardian. If anyone wants later to exchange any links or anything, let me know. Uh, we can exchange emails. Now, um, another particular interesting thing is that we don't know much about our own Kilalu Sheila gig. We just know it has definitely been moved from the cathedral um, over here and her legs are spread but the head is long gone and um, it has suffered a little bit of damage but she's still standing over here and um, there was even um, I wanted to mention one really interesting uh, fact there was this Shilana gig that was one of the first ones that they were discovered in the 19th century it's in uh, Kiltane Church and in the 90s it was kind of stolen from the church and Dr. Barbara Freitag given rights about FBI uh, coming from USA to try to um, discover what happened with the Sheila and everything but they just had to make a replica. Now uh, the best preserved Sheila Nagig uh, in its form and symbolism and everything is the one across um, in the UK our ones here in Ireland, there's over hundreds of them, and some of them are in a little bit of a better state. Some are kind of like our own over here. Um, it's a little bit damaged, but we can sti still kind of see the legs and one of the arms. Now, uh, I, I was doing a lot of research and I will keep going, but um, I had a little class presentation a few months ago, Patricia and Arlene, remember about Clone Lara? Um, Sheila Nagig. It's really interesting. It's on the bridge close to Arena Canal and it even has a year uh, carved on it, 7069. And um, I realized during the research that I miss the kind of human aspect to hear maybe some local stories about Sheila. And um, that changed yesterday when I spoke with someone. Um, I had a workshop on poetry, uh, a writing for Bridget, also for uh, Visit East Clare. And we had someone uh, mentioning Clon Lara, um, Sheila Nagig, and a little bit uh, kind of a folk story. They were, uh, the locals in Clon Lara village were calling that um, Sheila Nagig, a witch's rock. So before I uh, finish, I just wanted to let you know if you have any local stories or you know anything about maybe from the childhood or from before any, any interesting stories about this particular Sheila or maybe she was just forgotten. Um, in any case, it would be lovely to exchange some stories or anything like that. And um, those are things that I can't find in books or while reading uh, about academics work. This is something that can only happen um, as we talk and connect uh, as a community. Yeah. Um, and does anyone have any questions?
Yes. Yes, that's a great question. Thank you so much. So they are normally find, uh, found in the churches. It's always in the rural areas. This is one very particular fact. Uh, there's very few Shilana gigs found in towns or anything. They're typically uh, rural. Uh, they were found in rural places, churches, doorways. There's even indications that some Shilana gigs were made out of um, wood. But they, uh, most of them didn't... Um, survive so to make a long story short yes they were found in the villages but mostly on the churches and doorways yes yes that's a really good one in Vodrati castle yes indeed and there's a lovely great map uh, done by uh, Jack Robertson and there's also a pilgrimage route uh, Sheila and a gig pilgrimage route um, that was created a few years uh, ago where you can actually download the map and follow Shilana gigs across the island and getting to know them and maybe a bit of a uh, local stories, especially the pagan part. Um, I was just doing the workshop, as I said earlier, on Bridget and writing poetry yesterday. And I was just talking about this is a very special time in bulk time where the Christian and pagan traditions intertwine together and it's no longer necessary maybe to completely um, separate them or anything, but we can just um, enjoy all of the aspects um, in 2024 without one excluding the other. Any more questions? 100. Yes, there's 100 of them. 100, 100, 100. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. We are going to have to uh, remember that there's still a lot of Sheila gigs locked up in the basement of National Museum in Dublin. And as my uh, colleague Patricia was mentioning earlier, um, they were exhibited a few years ago during the opening of Irish Museum of Modern Art, but they are back in the basement. So we can only hope that sometime in the future, may maybe they will, you know, it would be great to be able to see all of them and uh, witness them because we will always have much more um, questions than answers. But I don't think that Sheila's uh, belong in the basement of a museum. It would be good if they're just displayed and yeah. <laughs> Any more questions? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, well, uh, they are actually the Tipperary and Clare area, our area here, they have most of them. There's been a lot in, in Dublin and all along the coast, but I'd say Tipperary and Clare. Okay, thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. So I'd just like to say thanks a million to everyone, again to AIB, to our speakers um, and to Jim and Scarif Bay Radio, who I said will um, have this recorded and we'll put it out as a, a podcast. So as soon as we get that, we'll share it on our social media. Um, so thanks a million for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. And we stayed relatively dry. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs>